Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, now ready for departure. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're entering the vacation kingdom of the world. There's enough land here to hold all of the ideas and plans we could possibly imagine. We call it Epcot. Will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. Taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world. The way it was and the way it is in your memories. Okay, everybody, welcome to the Retro Disney World Podcast. This is Episode 8, The Legends and Legacies of the Lakes and Lagoons. We're going to be taking you through all about Seven Seas, Lagoon Bay Lake, some of the transportation on it, and some interesting stories uh, behind the scenes. So uh, my name is Todd McCartney. I'm the host of the Retro Disney World Podcast. With me, as always, is Hal. How are you doing tonight? Aloha. Doing well, doing well. Another aloha. JT? Hi, how's it going? Good. And uh, Brian, how are you tonight? Hello from Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, which we may get to, I may get to see you in July. So That's trip. true, but we're going to see each other in New Jersey, so yeah. it really doesn't work out for either of us. No, and it's not Florida, so. Um, we Apolo- have some... Apologies to all you New Jerseyans. Yes. <laughs> I grew up there, so I got it. Okay. <laughs> uh, so we do have some special guests this month. Uh, Bill Cork, a former cast member, will be joining us shortly to tell us a... Uh, interesting story about the Admiral Joel Fowler and how it possibly related to the Seven Seas Lagoon. And uh, Jeff Gray will be joining us as well when we dive into the electrical water pageant history. Um, so we did put the show together kind of quickly. Uh, we're recording ahead of time because of some scheduling contact, uh, conflicts, but uh, I think it's going to be a good one. So um, first, uh, let's do our rewind to last month. We had a couple things that we wanted to go over. Um, one, if you guys remember, we had the Squeaky Mickey doll. Do you remember that? Oh, yes. Squeak, squeak. Yeah. Um, so we did some research afterwards. Uh, underneath Mickey's pants, I'm sorry, I have to say, <laughs> what's a name? Uh, it was Remco. And we did some research and found out it was part of a set called the Birthday Party Mickey Mouse by Remco. And the reason that his hand was in a almost like a Kung Fu grip configuration or, or like a G.I. Joe holding a gun was that you would put um, birthday party items like a, a what are those things called? The blowers, you know, the, the whistles that they unravel when you blow. And you put a noisemaker. A, a noisemaker, thank you. A kazoo. <laughs> uh, they had a hat for him. And, and, and apparently, supposedly, when you squeezed him and, and had this thing up to his mouth, it, it, the, the noisemaker would unravel. But I mean, the plastic is so hard now. But anyway, so that's the, the mystery of the, the hard Mickey doll. Um, Brian, I've been what, saying cotton jumper for the past month now just all the time like, i'm gonna honey get me my cotton jumper please does it have little white buttons to keep, yes. keep it up? and the straps are a little loose just <laughs> just for that extra yes. extra look uh now brian you headed down to uh the old location of centurion but you failed to go inside and check up on the uh smell of sewage i i you forgot, huh? What happened? We, we, yeah. we, you know, Todd raised that issue last month of a certain odor in, in mouse gear these days at Epcot. Uh, and I did not set foot in there because I, it's, not a, it's not a frequent stop for me because I'm not a merchandise, a current merchandise collector. But uh, 
oddly enough, we got a tweet at us from somebody, <laughs> a, a listener who backed up what you said, Todd, that yeah. there's an odd, unnatural smell in there. Yeah, yeah. So if any of our listeners are going down there soon, uh, report into us and, and let us know. So what I, what I did do is I made my way into the uh, World Traveler Shop at the International Gateway. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, Hal had mentioned last month that uh, some of the art in the, the, the you want to rehash that how real quick yeah just uh that they did a really nice job with the with the architecture and especially the um uh what do they call it? like the casework the uh the display uh things like the racks and stuff that the clothes and the merchandise uh hung on um to kind of bridge the gap between uh the style of france and england although from the pictures that i saw from you it looks like that stuff is probably long gone but yeah, the only thing that we saw that's left uh, of the original art uh, design that was in there is the stained glass ceiling, which is still there. And beautiful. Uh, oh, it's, it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's, it's it's gorgeous. So that is your update on merchandise go. locations in Epcot, as previously discussed. <laughs> that's right. Uh, now, how you've got two things. One, you discovered the name of the uh, the game that you played on the Atari 5200 back to the Centurion <laughs> again, right? It was, uh, it was Missile Command, huh? Yes, I mistakenly thought it was Space Invaders, and it turns out it was Missile Command, which I believe was the game that actually just came with the 5200, so, so that's the one that they had. They didn't do anything special. They just put the, the, <laughs> the game that was included. Right, took it out of the box. And better graphics than the 2600. I mean, it was like oh, high yeah. F game. Yeah, yeah. It was basically the uh, it was the guts of the Atari 800 turned into a game machine. So, right. Yeah, yeah. It was at least double or triple the resolution of the 2600. Eight. Now, how I have to tell you, last when I was listening to last month's episode in my car, which we do after, eat our own dog food, we yeah, we we, 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 we do yes. listen to it afterwards to see how it ends up. I actually doubled over in laughter at a stoplight when we got to your uh, with such favorites as the Whiskey Rebellion, as we were discussing the, <laughs> That's right. the vinyl album of the Hall of Presidents. Uh, how how are we coming along with remixing that into a full length song? I have not done that yet, and I'll tell you why. It's because okay. I went back and I listened to it, and I and I realized actually this is the whiskey rebellion section is one of my favorite things about the Hall of Presidents because, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I guess they're trying to explain the concept of like why they made whiskey to, you know, the crowd in Florida is abundant. <laughs> Right. It's like, oh, well, we've got all this corn and it's really hard to transport. So if we turn it into whiskey, that'll be a lot more convenient to transport. And that was the story they basically told on the Hall of Presidents of why they made whiskey. Not because they like to drink it or anything. As written by an alcoholic. No doubt. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Just because it, it's easy to transport down my throat and into my belly. <laughs> Uh, well, there's your update from last month. Um, now, last month we did talk about something else. Um, how has been designing T-shirts, and and uh, also we've been able to put it up on a site where you can buy these designs on T-shirts. Uh, what else we have, JT? You're the one in charge of it. We got what uh, iPhone cases, all sorts of good stuff. Yeah, uh, I Droid, iPhone, iPad, laptop skins. Uh, we have mugs, throw, throw pillow, pillows, drawstring uh, bags, three right? types of bags, like a studio pouch for pencils. We have right. stickers, prints, a million ways to enjoy house products exactly why don't so, you tell them what the design is yeah so so how explain the two designs what do we have so so our first one that we got out was an electrical water pageant design it's yep. the dragon uh from the water pageant and it i'm says, wearing it here as you can all see now there it is 
Lovely. We'll tweet yeah. that out again so you can see it because it, it actually the design is. I'm not gonna like toot my own horn, but it do it. it. Shirts came out pretty really nice. We, we got a lot when I tweeted it for the day it came and put it on. We got a lot of good feedback from yeah, it. It's yeah. it's pretty sweet. I I'm my wife got one and she's not like a huge Disney like shirt person, but she's like I want that. So and it yeah. looks good on all the products. Like we kind of can sort of design it like it's a sweet iPhone case. It's a sweet like you know uh, mug like because it wraps around the whole length of the mug. It carries well on all the stuff. Yeah, I'm surprised that uh, like we've sold a number of mugs. Some people have done it as like art prints, which yep. yeah, so, we have people buy canvas. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's really pleasantly surprised by that. So they've got that one. And Go the other one is a, a nice. We're probably only going to sell this one to about the Fourth of July. We're thinking, right? Yeah. So, so that's that's a uh, that's a call out to it's fun to be free, uh, and sort of doing a a non sexual double entendre of American freedom. So we have. That's uh, right. I don't know what you call that, other other than a double entendre. But it's not really an entendre. It's, it's just a double meaning. It's a nice there's, meaning. Yeah, good meaning. Yeah, and there's two versions. That's right. We've got the the red, white, and blue, and just what's the other more more red on it. And uh, yeah, it, they're yeah. both cool though. You can kind of take your pick. It's like the Martha Stewart white collection. We had yes. uh, <laughs> one, one of our fans, who's a friend of mine, bought one as a canvas bag to keep all of her knitting supplies in. Oh, yeah. excellent. So. That I saw that on the Twitter machine. So, Very so, cool. And and we have a new one that's coming up too. That's right. That, Drum roll. That, that we, when we hear this, yeah. uh, we found uh, I found a really cool bag from the 1970s that have these really. That's not an old lady. He's talking about a container for <laughs> merchandise. That's right. <laughs> Shut up, you old bag. <laughs> but yeah, but we found I found this cool paper bag. Uh, so we've kind of like used that as an inspiration to reproduce um, that design. It's got these uh, Mickey World Head balloons in these very 1970 colors palette. I don't know who would put these colors together except. Somebody in the 1970s. So, uh, so you'll see that one out on the on the site now. It's like that's. I'm pretty happy with that too. That's a real nice throwback for your 1970s fans. Yeah, we haven't seen your final uh, render of that, so we're looking looking forward to that one. So now I know our listeners are going. Okay, I want one of these. I want to see them. How do I get to it? Uh, RetroDisneyWorld.com forward slash Red Bubble, and that will take you directly to our uh, shop. And um, we do not make a lot of money off this, uh, but what we are trying to do is upgrade a lot of our audio equipment, keep our subscriptions going to the uh, software that keeps this podcast running. Uh, and JT is going to be the uh, benefactor of the first uh, audio upgrade, getting a new microphone, and uh, then Brian, myself, and Hal's already equipped with enough to- audio equipment i think he may be at the very end of the line right <laughs> yeah, yeah. i'm good i'm so, good you guys go first so for we those just... of that you have purchased a shirt or, or iphone case or bag we appreciate your support and uh for those of you haven't if you do pick one up um appreciate you helping us out to you uh, you'll, to help keep podcast. retro disney world computer central running exactly you... show us a picture though i want to see this stuff like i would love to see the guy with the mug like just chilling one day oh, yeah or... that's if a you good purchase idea. them please tweet them at us so we yeah. can retweet them uh, we'd like to see the product products in their own uh, home space you know because we don't have one of each product just so you know right right this is all uh it's it's manufacturing on demand so uh which is pretty neat the new wave in the 21st century (laughs) that's right (laughs) i really want to see a studio pouch like somebody with their art supplies or something that would be tight so get a studio pouch and send it to us the picture not the pouch (laughs) (laughs) 
So, all right. Well, um, we'll remind you guys again later in the podcast once we get to Electrical Water Pageant about that shirt and uh, design. But it is time to move on to our main topic this month, uh, which from the title, Legends and Legacies of the Lakes and Lagoons. Um, So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Bay Lake first, Uh, you know, what it was like when... uh, when Roy got there and took a look at it, and when Walt even visited for the first time uh, when he flew over it, what did they do to it? How did Seven Seas Lagoon become what it is today? Um, and then we're going to bring in our, our special guest, um, Bill Cork. So, um, Brian, you've been uh, dabbling a little bit of research here on, on Bay Lake and how we got there and why things are the way they are today, right? Uh, absolutely. Uh, we got there well, where we are today uh, because Walt Disney himself picked the location. Right. Uh, Walt was flying over and surveying the land that he purchased uh, back in 1966 and saw the, I might have been 65, but saw the uh, island in the center of Bay Lake, at which natural that was already there. And he said, down there is where we're going to build the theme park. Now, which, which people was, have said that island in the past was called, originally called Treasure Island. Right. And, and then, then became this Discovery Island, Island when, when it became inhabited by the animals and the the, par, the mini park that was there. By the animals, we mean the actual animals, not the people running through there. Exactly. <laughs> not the band. So, right. <laughs> so uh, three no, years No, although in, I, think, I think Poco did play on that island at once. Really? <laughs> Yeah, there's some. Uh, I think. Yeah, Maybe I think. Play Pogo. some crazy love there. Yeah. Wow, there's a there's a one of the Walt Disney World uh, specials has a a rock band. I think it was Poco or something That's like that. That's fantastic. I'm gonna have to get a Poco T-shirt and wear it. I think they're playing next to On the, the wreck of the yeah <laughs> next to the Hispaniola. <laughs> JT, so anyway, a picture of that write that down. <laughs> I will absolutely, work on that. We absolutely need that. So they uh, so they begin doing the soil testing and the and the planning for for uh, the Magic Kingdom, and the land in front of the Magic Kingdom that is today the Seven Seas Lagoon was found in the surveys to be unsuitable for building on. Uh, So they decided, why don't we uh, build a lagoon here and then build a bridge and connect it to Bay Lake uh, and use it for transportation and recreation? So they decided to add that aspect to their and build the hotel's around the, the the water the body of water and make it the vacation kingdom of the world so if we look uh, at that because i remember if you look at those original plans it's like they've got hotels right outside the magic kingdom and like an ice skating rink and right. some right. Other you, you were originally going to be able to drive right up to the to the <laughs> gates like you were in disneyland originally right. um so that was one thing that they did but there was a second benefit because all a lot of the land that the magic kingdom is built on is at water table level to begin with. And they built the utilidors. So the Magic Kingdom, as we all know, at least Main Street USA is one floor up. Right. Um, you know, one story up from 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 ground level. Uh, they needed millions and millions of cubic feet of dirt. And so where they got a lot of that dirt was by digging out what is now the Seven Seas Lagoon. So it actually solved a problem for them, uh, two problems for them, actually what to do with unsuitable land and then where to get the dirt to, to, to fill in and, and build the magic kingdom. So that's how you ended up with the seven seas lagoon and the, uh, and Bay Lake being connected seven seas lagoon being uh, built. And it took about three years uh, for them to actually complete the actual project. They drained Bay Lake because Bay Lake was so dark uh, because of the muck that was at the bottom of it. 
So they drained all of Bay Lake, which is the shores of the contemporary and Fort Wilderness. They drained that. They scooped out the bottom. Uh, they eventually refilled it with clean water and then stocked it with 70,000 bass, which are still swimming in those waters today and can be caught by just dropping a uh, hook into the ground with no into the water with no bait because they're so anxious to see shiny things. <laughs> That's right. Now we have a photo of uh, a satellite image of Bay Lake when it was, I'd say, about oh no, sixty percent drained, maybe even more, maybe eighty, ninety percent drained, um, which is really interesting because you can start to see the shores and you can see how the canals that were dug, uh, especially the one that's uh, off to the far east of. Um, uh, present-day Fort Wilderness, and uh, the whole the whole lake, yeah, it's com- completely drained out. The other photo I have is uh, a much larger view of uh, Seven Seas Lagoon and Bay Lake, and you can clearly see that the, the islands that we know now in uh, Seven Seas Lagoon were actually just the, the land at that level, um, and uh, was the remaining, uh, they basically just carved a, the lake around it. So we'll have to post some of those uh aerial shots that were taken from the Florida Department of Transportation. They're uh, definitely pretty neat. You guys have seen them before, right? Yeah. Yep. I have them on my bedroom wall. Actually. <laughs> do you, yeah. Yeah, maybe we'll put those up on Redbubble. What do you think? How's giving us a look right now like you you, you think I'm joking. Right. right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Really gets the misses in the mood, if you know what I mean. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that, that, nothing that like a half-drained lake. <laughs> that cabana get-up, Cal, that's the thing that gets it done. <laughs> <laughs> He'll post a picture of that, friends. That's right. All righty. So we're going to move on and uh, give Bill Cork a call here. And we're going to talk to him about a little bit story about the uh, Admiral Joe Fowler riverboat and how Fascinating it, uh, story. Yeah, how it was possibly linked to the Seven Seas Lagoon. We can even get the, the ringing in here. <clears throat> this is Bill Cork. Are we calling a home phone? Yeah. Hi, Bill. Hey. Hey, Bill, this is Todd McCartney from the Retro Disney World Podcast. You're on the air with Brian, JT, and Hal. How are you tonight? I'm great. How are you? Excellent, excellent. Well, I, I appreciate you taking the time uh, to, to join us. And um, I you know, I saw your post on Facebook about how you were uh, you were the captain of, one of the Admiral Joe Fowler, correct? Well, I was the lead. The lead, okay. So I, I'd love to hear the, you know, you posted a story about how, um, the, the ship ran aground one day, and uh, what I find really interesting is that um, uh, th- that that really led us to start looking at how possibly the 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 riverboat could have been used on Seven Seas Lagoon for, for something. So, could you uh, you know tell the story to our listeners of, of what happened and and uh, you know what what subsequently transpired afterwards and the modifications that had to happen to the uh, to the riverboat? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the riverboat originally was designed so that it would run in the rivers of America on the guide rail. Mm-hmm. But they had equipment and a swinging bridge uh, out uh, around the Howling Dog Den there that would allow um, the riverboat to be pulled up off the guides. They had a switch so they could actually bring it around the curve, open up the train trestle, and then they came to a stop and the, the guides ended, and, or the guide rail ended, and they could pull it up. And then they had full hydraulics in the wheelhouse and a real steamship with a real paddle wheel. Mm-hmm. And it didn't have side thrusters or anything like that, like the uh, ferry boats out in uh, the Seven Seas Lagoon, but they were going to take it out as a party boat 
on the seven seas of Vision. So you essentially However, had, uh, you, you just had forward and reverse, really, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. That's what, that's what we had. Well, you had rudders and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And it had a real uh, wheel, and it had hydraulics that would have turned the rudders. The steam itself, the paddle wheel itself, was controlled down on the first deck. Okay. But when they got ready to take it out, they found out that the smokestacks on the Fowler were 52 feet tall, mm-hmm. and the bottom of the monorail uh, beam, as it went over the little canal, it ran out to the seven feet lagoon with only 48 feet of clearance. <laughs> so Oof. they couldn't take Oops. it out. <laughs> they couldn't take it out on the seven feet lagoon. Uh, so basically, we, they turned off the hydraulics. Mm-hmm. So up in the wheelhouse, all you did was spin the wheel and do the spiel. And the spiel actually was canned, but it had the paddle wheel. And if uh, if we wanted the river, the riverboat attraction, the ride was designed to be 15 minutes in length, mm-hmm. but you could crank that sucker up and take it around the river <laughs> of America in about seven and a half minutes because it had the real paddle wheel on the back. And right. It had huge paddles. She corners like and she's on rails. <laughs> literally. Yeah, literally well, it was on rails. So, <laughs> yep. uh, and it had these big steel, uh, steering guides that had polyurethane wheels so that the, as you went around, you know, sometimes it would come up and down a little, um, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't supposed to come out because it was a wide and deep track. And as we came around, it really wasn't that we were going that fast. We might have been going a little faster than we were supposed to, but it was probably <laughs> just a culmination uh, that last trip every night, we closed at 7 o'clock during the regular year, 9 to 7, and only midnight holidays in the summertime. So that last trip, whether we left the port at 5 minutes to 7 or 5 minutes to midnight, mm-hmm. you know, we could fly that thing around. And uh, <laughs> I need to steal by heart, so I would do a live steal rather than push the buttons for the tape steal. Right. And we uh, it came around uh, Howling Dog Bend, which is where the haunted mansion is, and people there was stuff going on, and they shifted from one side of the Fowler to the other, and when they did, because of the speed and because of the damage that we had probably done to the guide rail all the time, falling ass, and <laughs> um, it came around there the back guide just came right up out of the track and it sort of spun and it was sitting cattywampus. Oh. And there was, the way it was sitting, there was no way to get uh, Mike Fink keel boats in there. Uh, the Tom Sawyer Island had not opened as of yet, so there was no rafts. So the only thing we had to get to the people once they figured out what they were going to do with it, uh, part of the comedy was that people were so damned mad because they were stuck on this riverboat. <laughs> and Tom Sawyer Island hadn't been built yet, so there right. was no, no bridge over to what used to be called Fort Sam Clemens. So, yep. I mean, there was just no way to unload the boat except with the canoes. 
<laughs> which <laughs> which only have what do they take? Twelve maximum? They held twenty. Twenty, okay. 20 <laughs> okay. Um and it wasn't the steadiest of uh you know, to get people into it. It wasn't like over by the canoes, you know, when you we came out of the canoe docks you had dock on either side of the canoe so right. it helped keep the canoe stable. Yep. Uh, there was maybe Oh, eight of us that had worked the canoes so that we knew how to paddle. And so we went and got the canoes and we came over. And the, uh, the turnstile cut off to load the fowler at 400. Mm-hmm. And it was probably, because it was a busy summer day. Oh my gosh. They probably had somewhere between 380 and 400 people on that boat. <laughs> And there was a couple of supervisors whose names I won't tell you, but <laughs> the abuse that they took from the guests was oh. unbelievable. Wow. They were, I mean, you know, i never forget this one guy. He was from New York and New Jersey. He had that accent. And the stuff that was coming, it was like a Brooklyn accent. The stuff that was coming out of his mouth at one of the supervisors <laughs> was just, and what we did is we took them, you know, uh, from the fowler just to the keelboat dock. Well, again, we had a height difference. Right, right. Mm. We could pull up to the side. There was a, a little side gate that we could actually go through. But I want to tell you, it was harrowing. Some of those older women, especially trying to uh, yep. get, get off the fowler <laughs> and into those canoes, it took us all afternoon to unload that boat. Wow. Bill, how many, how many canoes mean, did they How many canoes did they have? Well, we had, um, if I remember correctly, we had somewhere around 20 canoes. Oh, wow. Okay. So quite... Which you would think, okay, 20 canoes, 10, but there was only eight of us that had any experience on paddling <laughs> right. the canoe and knowing how to, uh, you know, use your paddle to make the turns and all of that. So right, right. We had, we had basically eight canoes that we were taking back and forth and... Yeah, uh, it took us all after. Well, it took us a couple of hours. <laughs> now, if that, like, if, that, if I remember correctly, it jumped the trail right around or the the track right around one thirty. If I remember correctly, wow, right in the okay. middle of the day. And so, so it now, was about four o'clock by the time we got everybody off. Wow. Now, did did they have to wind up draining Rivers of America to 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 fix this issue, or uh, how did? No. Well, no. no. Yeah, sure. Yeah, they did. They, uh, well, they tried to fix it without draining it. Okay, uh, and I don't remember if we drained it or if they used divers and uh, you know underwater uh, welding tanks and that type of thing. I don't sure. really remember because it was all done at night after we closed. Gotcha. And I don't I don't remember it being drained. Okay. If you went there today, you can't see the bottom of the rivers of America, but in 1971, two and three. That was crystal clear. If you really stood up on the uh, the very front bow of the ship, you could actually see the guy rail. The guy rail. Now we had some older footage that we saw where the river was dyed blue and it was extremely blue. Do you, do you know when they started doing that? Do you remember? Do you recall that? Well, it was after my time. It was okay. Yeah, I forget the yeah, year on the film. The river but... was just as. I mean, the truth is, the seventies lagoon and 
Bay Lake was a they were sand bottom. Well, Seven Seas then was man made. Right, but right. They, you know, they couldn't even build Walt Disney World today with all the environmental bullets out there. They came in and drained a swamp in a lot yep. of areas. The Seven Seas Lagoon was a swamp. They drained it and they brought in front end loaders and dug all the muck out and then they trucked in tons of white sand. Yep. And you could see, you know, down in in the Seven Seas Lagoon, you couldn't see the bottom once you got out away from the shore, but uh, in, in, in addition, all Florida lakes have cypress trees, which is, produces a brackish water. So it's sort of a tan water to, to some degree. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, as time went on and all the boats and all the everything else that went along with building the hotels and everything, you know, the lakes just aren't as clear as they used to be. Right, right. But I was amazed last Christmas we went out because uh, we buy annual passes. And, mm-hmm. um, we went out and I, I took a ride on the, the whatever they call the riverboat now. And uh, it was, you know, I couldn't see the bottom anywhere. Right, right. And, and the rivers of America was concrete. Yep. Until you got past the train bridge where it swung open. And then once you got past there, it went from concrete just to a sand to bottom canal. Right. But the rivers of America was a concrete bottom. Yep. Do you yeah. remember how deep that is? Is that what, five, six feet deep, or is it deeper than that? Uh, well, in the deepest point, it was probably uh, more like 12 feet. Okay. Wow. Deeper than I thought. Yeah, you because know, the draft on the Fowler was 40 inches. Oh, excellent. Okay. You know? And the Fowler was a concrete hull, and then the boat was built on top of it. But they, after that happened, they came in, they took all the hydraulics out, and they put a new paddle wheel on that was half the size. And then you uh, you couldn't go near as fast. I mean, wide open, <laughs> you might could make it in 12 minutes if you were <laughs> if you lucky. Oh, wow. Now, did the, the yeah. paddle wheel change? Was it just the paddles that changed in size? Or was it the size dia- of the paddle. The size of the paddle. Okay, yeah, so it wasn't... The, not, the, not the size of the wheel itself. Right, right. The size of the paddle. So yeah, they didn't draw as much depth gotcha. as, they, uh, as they did when it you know, went back and forth. So with now with with the Fowler not being able to get out even for any type of dry dock repairs, um, after the Fowler was lost in the mishap in the in the late seventies, early eighties, I forget the exact time frame on that. Um, with what's it was now somewhere in seventy eight or nine, I believe. Okay, I so. Remember. Right, so so they obviously they made what's now called the Lily Bell, um, but well, they came out with a second boat. We right. opened the second boat in the summer of seventy. I think it might have been the summer of seventy four. Okay, but it was no, it was had to been the summer of seventy three. Um, we opened the second boat called the Richard F. Irvine. Right, right. And for that summer, we actually ran two boats. And then what they would do, if you didn't need the second boat, they would put it on that spur line by the train trestle that swung open. Mm-hmm. And we have a... It would go uh, up and down. It pivoted sideways. Okay. So we we have a we have a um, a video of of somebody that a uh, film that somebody took from the seventies and when they go by one of the boats is docked exactly right there where you said uh, by the trestle. Um, so was was the right. idea to have the two boats to kind of 
do what they were doing at Disneyland, where they have the Mark Twain and the Columbia sailing ships. So high peak times, they've they've increased the capacity. While one is docking, one's go, you know, receiving passengers. We had uh, I actually developed an SOP because I would believe that we had uh, whistles that we would use to let the boat in uh, Liberty Square know mm-hmm. when the other boat reached the Indian village. Ah, so just okay. as you got to the Indian village, you did a a two long uh, blows of the of the whistle, and then that told you know the landing that you had to cut the turnstile, get everybody else on, drop the gate, and off they went. Right, right. You wrap that into the into the storyline of the spiel, as I remember, because I think you'd say something about uh, like whistling to the Indians, right? Well, we yeah, fur trappers and keel boats often come by to barter for trades and other goods that are for sale. <laughs> <from here>. Nice, <laughs> very nice. He still remembers it. Now, do you know when they? I can do almost the whole spiel. Yeah, I'm going to ask you to do that when we're all done. Yeah, we're going to have to get. You. I got to hear that. <laughs> so when the when the Irvine was um was built, do you know did they did they build it at a lower height? I don't think we have the actual height. That was a fiberglass hull, I believe. There was and... no. Uh, it was slightly lower. Okay. And then also only had one stack, but there was no thought at any time with the Irvine of taking it out to be a party boat. Gotcha. Now, they could get that it out was today. Strictly, it was strictly to, uh, um, you know, increase our capacity. In okay. No, I guess there Mike... There was no big thunder, and there were, you know... Right. There were no Pirates of the Caribbean. I mean, you got to the train station, you had the canoes, and that was it. Yep, it was truly Frontierland because there was nothing but Frontier. Yeah, frontier after that. Right. So, so my question is that: Do you know if at any time either one of the boats were actually taken out through the canal and brought around to the to the boat maintenance facility where uh, you know when they decommissioned the? Uh, uh, there was there's no way there is no access to get the boat back to the the staff shops or anything like that. Okay, so the train bridge doesn't open. It was brought in. No, no, the train bridge opened, but they took it back to where now the uh, parade, uh, the parade building, and all that is. But you know, they brought it in, and they used big cranes to lift it up and put it on a flatbed. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Then they took it over to Epcot to deconstruct it, right? (laughs) No, that's where they took it. Yeah, there there was a guy that had. There was a guy that had posted that uh, he was working at Epcot and where they were building the boats in Epcot for, for I guess, the World Showcase Lagoon and all that. Uh, they actually deconstructed the Fowler over there, and he was he was telling how he took pictures going on it each oh. day as they were ripping it apart. Well, it was, you know, Epcot didn't open until, you know, what, 82? 82, yeah. He said this was 1980. So- so yeah, they they may have done it over there. I, I really, you know, I was gone by that time. So interesting. I was managing the burger team by that time. <laughs> so the, the the reason I ask is because um, beyond the train bridge, obviously connects up to the waterway that leads to Seven Seas Lagoon, and the bridge there today, there's a there's a, a road bridge that um, from the satellite pictures does look like it lifts. There's a canal lock there, but uh, it's very very hard to tell whether or not that. That specific uh, bridge can go. There was no, there was no lock system back uh, then. That you, there wasn't. Well, you know, there was 
there was locks that you could open up water flow, but it, there was no lock that, that you could bring a vessel through. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Not like the Panama Canal or sure, sure. Like yeah. that. Not, not that kind of lock. It was just a lock where they could control the water levels. Right. So I guess dry dock, when they need to do work on it, you uh, drain the you drain rivers of America and you work on the boat right there? <laughs> There's no other place to No, move. they, uh, as far as I can, you know, as far as I know, they've only drained it one time, and um, but you know they. And I know a friend of mine that still worked out there told me that when the, they decommissioned the Fowler, they took it out and lifted it up and put it on a flatbed hmm. and trucked it to wherever they were going to tear it down. You know, but what happened with the Fowler was the, the hull was fiberglass, right? And it, after a while, it just couldn't support the weight, and it started cracking. And so when they built the Irvine, the Irvine was a steel hull. You know, and, uh, you know, they were trying different things to cut costs and stuff when they built the tower. So, but the, uh, you know, it was a real steam engine. Right. I've looked at satellite photos of that that canal and then the path over to where that turning trestle is. And that looks like that would be a bear to navigate <laughs> off a rail. Did, um, did you ever you actually know, try to pull it out? No, no. Uh, they found when they brought, they unloaded it somewhere. I'm not sure where they unloaded it with barges. Uh, and then they found out that they could not, make it underneath the monorail rail. So this probably came about before opening. Okay. So they went up and redid the stacks and put it, but it had a, a thing that would open the stack. I mean, cause the stacks sort of like a bottle can. It would flip open. Uh, or, you know, like the, the cups that, you know, the drink bottles you use when you're a bike rider and you've got the little rubber top, the top that goes on, you flip it over, but it's got a ring around it to stay on the straw. Right. Well, that's kind of like what they did with the stacks. Uh, but then they, they just realized that um, they were going to have to go out and spend a ton of money to find a seasoned boat captain <laughs> to try and... I mean, it was it was all good intention. It just wasn't something that was going to work. Just right. never worked out. We, we actually found a photograph of a model of the Contemporary Hotel that shows what could be the Fowler sitting at, at the end of the dock. Uh, so it definitely, they, that was a full intention from, from what we could find that they were thinking they were going to take that even over the water bridge over into Bay Lake to pick up people, which that just seems so crazy you know, to me. It was, uh, as far as I know, I mean, we had a bar on the second deck. It was actually a bar on the second deck with a room behind it. It was set up with enough stuff for refrigeration and everything so they could serve drinks. Um, now, did they ever? Interesting. Some of the, no, no. No. no so, they, you know, no, are you kidding? Uh, the Magic Kingdom, the, 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 to this day, there's still no alcohol sold. I, I figured it was because it was like a floating, free-floating vessel. I don't know. <laughs> it's, not in, it's not international waters, well, J.J. If, if, if they got it out on the seven seas of June, it would have been a party boat. But uh, somewhere along the line, I remember, uh, could have been Natty that told me. I, I'm, I'm not, I don't remember who told me, but the, 
they realized the cost factor that was going to be involved to hire a captain that actually knew and could steer the thing. And then they were going to have to get it from off the rail and pull it with tugs until they got it into the seven seats. Oh, okay. There was was no thrusters. Right. So they couldn't go sideways. I mean, there was just a lot of... uh, logistics that were great thoughts that in practical operation weren't going to work. Yeah. yeah there, that would be every single night. Right. Yeah. Every, every night, every time it's a yeah. rental. Well, I don't know that they were going to do it every night, but I know they were talking about doing it, you know, Friday, Saturday. Mm. And this, this makes perfect sense of why we're going to talk a little bit later in the show, Bill, about some of the other party boats that were then available to, to guests. Um, so this makes perfect sense of why those, you know, came into fruition when this plant uh, was, was foiled. People would, would rent, you know, the design was people would rent the boat. Sure. Rent the boat out for private parties and, uh, Whoever originally came up with everything just didn't think through the logistics of those. Right. You know, it was probably two hours to get the boat out and then two hours to get the boat back in and get it back on the guide rails and it had to come back in backwards. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. That's you know, true. I mean, you know, there was just a multitude, but the biggest thing was that. The stacks were 52 feet tall, and they only had 40 years to the clearance. <laughs> I, I, that's the, if, if anybody's going to take home anything, that's the old <laughs> measure, measure twice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, Bill, I, I really appreciate this uh, trip back in time here and your narrative. Um, really, really interesting experience. So do, do you think you could do uh, the, the, the narration around the, uh, around the rivers of America for us? Sure. Oh, that'd be awesome! I'll give you the last one that I remember. Excellent. All passengers aboard, secure all cargo. Crew, stand by. Bowman, cast off the bow line. Engine room, full steam ahead. This is your captain, Sandbar Jones, speaking to you from the top of the Texas deck. Welcome aboard the Admiral Joe Fowler, the Big Daddy of the River. <laughs> Now, my first duty is to get this thing really embarked and safely up the river. But when I'm not preoccupied with these tasks, I'll gladly point out spots of interest along the way. So enjoy your trip, and I'll get back to you real soon. Off the port side is Frontierland, the fastest growing town in the West. There at the end of Frontierland, you can board the steam train for a trip all the way around the Magic Kingdom. And there in the middle of the river is Tom's All Your Island, where you can take a real raft over and do some cave exploring, go across the Barrel Bridge and over to the last frontier for Sam Clemens. Hey, look at you there. A burning settler's cabin. Crab blasted river pipes. Sure know how to hit and run. Just ahead off the fourth bow is Engine Joe's shanty. Now Joe, when he's not putting out buoys and searchlights to keep stern-wheelers like our fowler afloat, but he does a lot of fishing and selling those fish back in Frontierland. Just ahead is the Indian village for trappers and cuba boats, fires for felt and other goods which are on sale back in Frontierland. Hey, look you there. Just ahead off the start of the battle, well, it's Pirate's Cove, 
Be on the alert. Don't anybody talk loud. Be soft. Uh, we don't really worry about the river fire stations. We've got enough fire fire on board to maintain any kind of problems that they may bring along. As we round Howling Dog Den, high on the hill is the haunted mansion, home of 999 happy haunts. Of course, there's always room for a thousand. Attention passengers, we are now approaching our Liberty Square landing. Those of you on the upper two decks, please start your way to the bottom deck and prepare to disembark. Three, all ahead, one third. Common, be prepared to attach the bow line. We have now landed at the Liberty Square landing. All ashore, please. All ashore. There you go. All right. <laughs> Nicely done, Bill. Appreciate that. Our listeners are going to love to love to hear that. And I know how is like how is going to play this in this house over and over. That was <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, I, listen, uh, some of the best memories of my life were those first five years at Walt Disney World. And, and, and you know, we, we're in touch with a couple other former cast members that we're going to be speaking to in, in future episodes. And, uh, you know, between them and yourself, I think we're really going to be able to bring home a lot of different personal memories and stories and, and exactly what you're talking about, of how fun it was to be there. And, you know, <clears throat> this is exactly the point of our our podcast too is to really to go you know our byline is is the the way it is in your memories right uh, the way it was and the way it is in your memories so that's exactly what we're uh trying to drive home here so um but uh yeah anything else you'd like to add in bill before uh before we say goodbye no i really appreciate you uh Give me a thought, oh no absolutely uh, we c- couldn't ask for a better story uh to go on to this episode and uh really do appreciate your time uh this evening and oh, uh, my pleasure excellent my pleasure. well thank you very much right, you have a blessed night okay you too thank you so much bill thank right. you yes thank you yep right. bye-bye now bye-bye all right well, well big thanks to uh to bill cork for joining us there that was an amazing story and uh wow what a, what a great look into in the history of that and and look at that guys i mean how you know, through that story, we can really say that um, the Fowler was indeed supposed to be out doing cocktail cruises, and 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 um, how you mentioned the photo that you found of, of the model with uh, um, at least a riverboat of sorts parked at the Contemporary. That yeah, that puppy was supposed to be out there going around serving drinks. He he confirmed that there was a mini kitchen up there, refrigerator, places to serve. So now we know why it never happened. But as I alluded to a little, just you know, a couple minutes ago, um, there were other excursions and other boats. Now, you know, we know about the the the, uh, the pontoon boats and the water sprites and we, you know, the elusive bob around boat. But what most people don't know is that there were two other unique crafts that were out on the uh, uh, actually three total that were available for rentals and cocktail parties. And the first one is a very unique one done by the two of them, the Chris Craft Yacht were the Chris Craft the Aqua Home, which is have you guys seen the pictures of this thing that the oh yeah rent this and this looks to be around seventy two or so, and um, it, it was kind of like a houseboat. Now the Aqua Home you can still you know they were made in the sixties sixty eight through seventy four. Um, they had about 12 foot, 12 to 15 foot beam, and they ran about anywhere from 33 to 46 feet long, but they literally look like houseboats. Um, and these were the party boats that replaced 
I guess you could say what the um, uh, what the what the Fowler was supposed to do. So 1972 to get on the Aqua Boat um, over 21, it was ten dollars. You would leave from the Poly, the Contemporary, or Fort Wilderness Marinas. Drinks were included, and if you're under 21, it was five dollars. So you got the inflation calculator there, Brian. You know, you really have to set me up. For this. I always do. Come on, you should, should be on the quick draw. Yeah, you should have yeah. it ready to go. Uh, you know, while while he's pulling that out, yeah. I'll mention that the the Osceola class uh, side wheelers mm-hmm. were also used as rentals for the party cruises too. So, um, so that was another thing uh, that was used for a little while, and we talked about those on a previous episode. Right. So we're talking nineteen seventy two, ten dollars. Yeah, Is that right? That's correct. That would be fifty six dollars and sixty cents today. Wow. So fifty six bucks. Or, drinks or included. Two though. two drinks at Trader Sam's. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> With the souvenir mount. So we have another announcement here for uh, retro Disney World fa- uh, podcast fans. Um, a couple of you have been asking, you know. Do you do video or, or whatnot? Now, when we're recording, we do video. We look at each other. We can take uh, visual cues and, and show things to each other. But we don't record that portion. However, we have a, a silent uh, person uh, named Jason Bartel who works on our uh, some of our video feeds. He also works on the graphics for the websites and stuff. And Jason has started to put together. Now, guys, I know you've seen the, the teasers of this, but he has taken... Uh, the Stubborn Donkey, the World of Motion episode, part one. And not only did he go through the area where we review the film and match the film up to what we're talking about, but uh, he went through the entire World of Motion building. He's made 3D images of the building, shows pictures of the, all the different scenes that we're talking about. And um, that is going to be, that is now released and available uh, if you go to uh, RetroDisneyWorld.com, you can you can see that, and it's amazing. And Brian, I know you you really enjoyed the film portion of it. it um, like, like you said uh, earlier, that his he puts up our Twitter accounts and our, our little icons as we're talking. Yeah, he, you know, he identifies who's speaking. For those of you who can't make out our voices just by <laughs> sound at this point, uh, you know, as one of us starts to talk, he'll throw our Twitter handle up there so you know which person is offering commentary and whatever we're talking about. There's either footage of or a picture of or something that we're referencing. So it's a very interesting way to watch the show. Right, right. And it'll really give you, instead of you sitting there flipping through and looking for time marks on the video or looking for pictures uh, or jumping back to our, you know, our article, um, you know, you'll have it all in front of you. So it's an experiment. It's the first one we're doing. It it does take a lot of time to put together. I don't know how many hours uh, Jason spent putting it together. So see how this goes. And uh, a special thanks out to Jason Bartel for putting that together. So be sure to look for that. Very nice job, Jason. Yep, thanks. Yes, thank you. Thank you, man. Yep, looks awesome. Okay, so we're going to move into the next section here, and uh, we're going to go into pretty good detail of the electrical water pageant, which, uh, as many of you know, started in 71, and it runs, it's still running as of today. But um, we have a special guest on the line with us tonight. Um, we have Jeff Fields. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Welcome. And uh, Jeff, is uh, you've made a 
kind of a some videos you've done a lot of research on the actual uh light configurations and all sorts of stuff of the history of the entire electrical wire pageant so um he and how are going to go over a lot of different aspects of it we've got some uh a little bit of the history how it was conceived and, and where it where it came from and why they had it and um jeff's going to help us out and go through all of the the different details of how things have changed so uh how jeff i'll, I'll let you guys uh take it away from here all right. Well, <clears throat> I'm glad Jeff has has a lot of knowledge on sort of the the launch of it going forward because there's still quite a few aspects of the history of how it came about that are still kind of mired in mystery. So um, what we do know is that uh, credit for its conception goes to Disney's director of entertainment, Bob, uh, and I'm not sure if it's Janny or Yanny, uh, J-A-N-I, Janny. Okay. Yeah. Um, he was in charge of the three-day extravaganza of the grand opening ceremonies. And um, he can see, apparently there's a sort of apocryphal story of him looking out over Bay Lake. Uh, and it was pitch dark back then because all the hotels were still under construction. Uh, there was really nothing out there as far as lighting. And he just thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool if we could do something with this where there was just some lights out on the water and the reflection and it would be really beautiful. So... Um, so he apparently commissioned this thing, um, to run as the finale of the dedication of the Polynesian hotel, which was on October 24, uh, 24th, 1971. Um, now there is some previous history to this. So we, we don't, uh, apparently he might have gotten the idea from his predecessor, um, who had the job before he did, a guy by the name of Tommy Walker, who apparently had conceived of a very similar type of uh, light parade uh, with sort of flat uh, things on barges, except this was supposed to be done on the Rivers America in Frontierland in Disneyland. Um, he had thought about doing that with battery power, um, potentially as a replacement for fireworks, because uh, apparently Anaheim was giving him some problems or maybe uh, they were the cost for fireworks was prohibitive. So um, he had seen some things where they had done some stuff with lights and he thought maybe that would be a, a good substitute. Um, they ended up not using it. So that got rolled up and, and pulled away. Um, but so I'm, I'm not sure if somebody went is one of just those amazing coincidence things where, uh, you know, Bob Janney comes on and he kind of hears about this thing and they pull it out and they figure out how to make it work. But, uh, but there was sort of an earlier attempt at, at this idea, uh, before that. And, um, one of the, the really kind of weird things that if, if you get to watch the grand opening of Walt Disney world special, which I think is on YouTube, mm -hmm. um, not only did they have electric lights on this thing, but they also had places where they could put pyrotechnics on it. So, um, it's, they're launching fireworks and all kinds of stuff off of these barges as well as another barge in the background, uh, during the grand opening. And apparently if you rented out the electrical water pageant as part of your company function for an extra price, you could also have fireworks shut off of it as well. So that's something that does happen kind of occasionally. Um, the technology behind it is remarkably simple. Uh, I, I would, I would safe to say that pretty much any of us could probably put this thing together in our backyards if, if we really wanted to. 
Um, now, going back to the battery thing, okay, let's rewind here, 1971, right? Yeah. We, okay, we, we live in a time now of um, LiPo batteries and lithium batteries and, and, and nickel metal hydride. You know, bare rechargeables were nothing more than lead-acid batteries back in 1971. So think about the bank of batteries that they would need to do well, and, and, the, and the weight, right? Well, the technology actually didn't a, exist. Right. I mean, the reality is uh, the only light bulbs that existed when this parade were con- was conceived in 1971 were C6 and C9 light bulbs right. like you would see on houses. It was all 110. There was no battery. And in fact, it isn't until 1972 that 12 volt, uh, what they call Italian lights, end up getting brought into America, which makes the Main Street Electrical Parade possible because they run off at 12 volts instead of 120. Um, They actually found a manufacturer that um, they would have a step-down transformer to go from 110 to 12 in order to run these imported bulbs. So it it literally didn't exist. And and one of the reasons that I think that that the Electrical Parade soundtrack is so loud is because it has to cover the sound of the generators because there are actually (laughs) gas generators out on those things powering uh not only the speakers but also the the lights as well so um it's super low tech i mean you you if you look at the descriptions of the the water pageant it keeps talking about synchronized lights the reality is i mean it's synchronized only in that when when the music starts for one section they flip on the lights. Yeah, you know, somebody and, flips a switch. And right. Turns it and, on. and it's and the relays start hitting and it starts going through its rotation. But it's it's not actually synchronized to the music. Uh, not like you see, you know, we see videos on YouTube and even those television shows of, of people that do real synchronized uh, lights at Christmas time out in front of houses where things are run by MIDI controllers and it's synced up like literally synced up with the music. So when a note plays, it lights up a light. It's not that sophisticated. It's really, really simple. And I, I actually got a chance. Uh, I took one of the backstage tours sometime in the 1990s. And one of the things that we got to do was go out by the by the parade building and over to the uh, to the barges. And I just couldn't believe just how janky the whole they really are. I mean, it's literally just, you know, I think there's uh 14 of these things split into two groups of seven. It's literally just these big, nasty kind of pontoon barges set up back to back with two outboard engines on the back and two in the front. And basically it looks like chain link fence about 20 foot high sticking off in the middle of it. And the lights are just kind of like, uh, um, Oh, uh, what's what's that stuff that you use to like uh, zip tied? Yeah, like zip tied <laughs> onto them exactly. In in the days before every crevice of backstage was available on the internet, the coolest thing was being on the monorail and going by that that uh, yes. channel where they where they dock the EWP and be like, oh, I want to get back in there and see right. what's behind this. You know, you I, you just had this this thought that there was this mysterious world back there full of wonder. <laughs> and, and you tried to take your water sprite back there too. And they'd come run you down like <laughs> Baywatch. <laughs> right. No, no, no. But if you, if you think about it, there aren't uh, still to this day, I mean, Disney's done a fantastic job of obscuring backstage, right? And to this day, that's one of the very few remaining spots that does give you that, 
appear, you know, it, mm-hmm. back. I remember going monorail the other way and watching, going over the switch where the monorail will go past the Space Mountain. You're craning your neck. I got to be able to see something, you know. And it's not until years later when you have the satellite map. You're like, oh, crap, I was never going to be able to see anything. Right. <laughs> but I, I'm trying to think of another location, um, you, you know, where that backstage is so readily available and is seen by so many visitors on a daily basis too. It is just so I'm surprised there wasn't a jog put in there, but then again, those barges take a very, very straight path around the set. There's not a lot of uh, sharp angle turns that you can do. They need that straight out. And you do not have a lot of steering options with those. Yeah. From, from what I've read, it's like, if you get a windy night, it's like, you've really got to be careful about how you pilot those in order to, to keep them together. Now, was there only one pilot per seven or do we have multiple pilots? Do we know? Um, one, there is one person, I think, and I'm trying to remember now if there's one person or two, two people per barge, I think there might be one person in the front and one person in the back. Okay. And then the, the remaining ones in the middle just stay. Yeah, they're aren't, just aren't powered. They're just yeah. they're just between. So you have two engines tugging against each other at points, probably to keep it stationary. So yeah, interesting. That was one of our questions on Instagram from one of our readers. They want to know how many drivers there were. So, well, well they don't you answered that. It. <laughs> Scratch that one for the night. Yeah, <laughs> on there. So, all right. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's beautifully low tech, and I, and I think one of the reasons it manages to stay around today is is because of its simplicity. It's probably incredibly cheap to, to run. It's uh, it's cheap to maintain. You know, if something goes wrong, you just basically pull out a light bulb and put in another one. <laughs> I will pass it over to Jeff, who I think has done a spectacular job of working out the different configurations over the years because I, I think we've been through, what, three different or four different configurations of the show and different variations on the music. So, yeah, Jeff. Uh, Jeff, maybe you can run through the music and then also, uh, you know, the configurations and also how some of the floats have been changed and, uh, you know, over time and which ones have remained the same. I know you've got quite a bit of uh, uh, information on that. And, and, and also plug your website where, you, where you've got all this stuff stored so everybody can share it, too. I decided to start this project kind of just as a, oh, I wonder if I could do it. Uh, and throughout the process, it... Uh, it grew and grew and grew, and uh, it's still growing uh, today as I find out more information. Um, so we want to start in 1971? Yeah. Yeah, yes. that's, yeah that's where. Okay, well, most of the stuff is um, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty good uh, uh, documentation of it uh, with that um, opening ceremony for Walt Disney World. There was a couple uh, floats that were a little kind of obscure, uh, but you have the Sea Serpent, which was actually three floats. The whale had one float. The two sea lions with the balls, mm-hmm. they were bouncing back. Uh, the clamshell, which was one of the ones that was the hardest one to find an actual image for, but we worked out. Three mermaids, three jumping dolphins, uh, octopus, three flying fish, uh, four horse uh, seahorses, King Neptune, and a mermaid sitting on his lap, which <laughs> <laughs> Just found out now, not too long ago. That that's one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Now, is it the Little Mermaid or is it just a mermaid? Because no, I'm, it's, it's I'm a little disturbed. Mermaid. Be very careful here. Yeah, that we we need to mermaid. Um, and uh, followed by the Stars and Stripes, and of course, then they had the pyrotechnics afterwards. Um, and that was actually the Baroque hoedown uh, played during that part, and um, it was actually I. It was a very repeated version of it. Um, it wasn't like the album, the uh, 1973 record that 
played a little bit of the uh, Cinderella tunes and stuff yep. in there, but it was uh, it was definitely uh, a repeated version of that. Um, had some questions uh, which are still up in the open about actually whether or not the uh, dragon's uh, fire was animated or not. Travis and I were kind of going back and forth on it because the footage isn't really clear. Um, some people say it didn't animate. Some people say it did. So we kind of stuck with the animated version for the uh, 71. Okay. Um, go further from that. Uh, after 70, pulling up my notes here. After 71, there was a 72-76 version. Um, the Sea Serpent still had three floats. Sea Lions, the Whale. We had the introduction to a turtle, which is a little bit different from the turtle that we have now. So this was only one year then, right? And they, they changed it that as, as Yeah, as far as I can tell, 71 was the first. Uh, they kept it with it. And then 72, we started seeing it. Uh, the challenge with this project was we were going, uh, looking at some of the old... Uh, eight millimeter um, Disney released films mm -hmm. in which they um, would kind of introduce, uh, put parts of the 71 in and then have some of the 72 in it as well. So we were kind of, <laughs> I, I was looking back and going, which one's in order? Because now the shell's over here and it's not here. And then the flying fish are over in this side. And I'm like, okay. And whether or not it was actually filmed from the red side or what I call the, I'll, I'll get it right, port or, uh, starboard side, whether I could get that in order. So, right, uh, right. It was kind of yeah. the part of the uh, uh, Travis, um, who I worked with on this project, and I'll just—I have to give him a shout out because without his help, I wouldn't have. Mad. Uh, Travis is a, a Florida student, mm -hmm. uh, animation student, actually, and a cartoonist. He's also a comic artist. Artist. Uh, he loves the electrical water pageant, and uh, he contacted me actually through the internet and online when I put out the project on on the video. And I'll tell you, he has been amazing with giving me corrections and sending me videos and saying, oh, look, look what I just discovered. <laughs> and uh, so it's been really, uh, he's been really amazing on it. So You've got I, your own, uh, like, NBC page running. Oh, yeah. Running, oh, yeah. <laughs> <running> <laughs> and, then he, and then he yells at me when something's wrong and I don't change it. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, pretty much uh, we have, uh, oh, the introduction of the red squid. Now, there is some challenges here. Um, I went on Wikipedia. And uh, there seems to be something about a uh, goldfish and what they call a shrimp. Um, I could not find any images of a shrimp nor any uh, goldfish bubbling. So uh, I'm assuming that it was the red squid because I did finally see an image of the red squid um, on there. So that was an introduction to that one. Uh, now, got... now, the red squid, completely different from the red octopus, right? Yes, correct. Okay. Actually, if you look on the PDF there, it's actually, I think it's, I have a picture of it, just a stagnant image. Okay. We're going to, we're going to get yeah. this PDF for, for download. I have to say, by the way, the octopus was always my favorite uh, because of the, the, the sound when he came out. Wah, 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 wah. I, I don't know. I just, I love that one. Do you guys remember that? Oh, yes. yes yeah. It was, wasn't he? I don't know. To me, who was the best one? The squid is very, it's very 20,000 leagues under the sea sort of squidish, wouldn't you say? It's. Uh... Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll be honest with you. It was a hard, uh, hard uh, uh, image to actually obtain. Um, I was, I was actually going through and actually changing the, uh, the, in, inverting the actual film footage so I could actually see some of the animation occurring and then trying to guess where these lights all go and then guessing what the actual image was so there's a lot of guesswork that went into it but i tried to stick as quickly uh, as much as i could see what they you know looked at and 
what they had back then. So it looks good. Yeah. Now this PDF that you got, I mean, it's 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 it's, it's amazing. There's so much great great stuff in it. Um, I, I just can't imagine how long you sat there drawing dots. It's oh. Uh, it's... <laughs> I hope you do. Did you do you do this in a light bright by any chance? No. If we, if we could arrange light brights and pull them across my pool at night, I mean, we could we could replicate this on a raft. To be honest with you, when I first started the project, I was actually thinking of doing a mini construction of the actual uh, floats, and then doing LED lights, and then I realized that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you could use fiber optics now, then, yeah. right? You could have, yeah, you could really get crazy. All right, so uh, what does that bring us up to then, Jeff? Where, whereabouts are we? Well, we're, we're just finishing up 1972, 1976. Yep. Um, uh, what we found out in 72 and 76, uh, after basically uh, the Stars and Stripes would play, uh, they would actually have the patriotic music, and then all the floats would actually return. Um, for kind of a uh, electrical water pageant crescendo with the actual Baroque hoedown music playing. So what would they display? Everything again? Yes, back the they, the creature floats would become back. Yes. Oh, okay, okay. And so, then they uh, would shut off and then move to their to their next correct, location. Correct. Okay. And there were uh, officially back then it would only be three locations, right? It was the Polynesian, Fort Wilderness, and uh, Contemporary, and that was it. Correct. And now. Right? They do it in front of the Magic Kingdom too. Did they really? Yeah, because I can so remember traffic going back and forth. I can remember waiting for the monorail. Yeah, and watching the electrical pageant like it was performed right over by that section where the monorail station was, so you could see it while you're waiting to get on the monorail. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, that's the first place I remember seeing it as we were exiting the Magic Kingdom. It was it was out you know directly ahead on the lake. Well, we actually have a timetable, so. Yeah, I mean, but... so we know it does the Polynesian at nine oh five. Yeah, okay. Then, then it heads over to Fort Wilderness. Uh, let's see, doesn't give a time for that. Then it hits the Contemporary at ten twenty. Then goes over to the Magic Kingdom and the the Grand Floridian. So the Grand Floridian gets shafted at the end. You got to wait up. They they can wait. They can afford. They're, they're spending them. <laughs> they hire people to watch it for them. Yeah. <laughs> And then I, Did you then, see it, Smithers? Oh, it was fantastic. You should have been there. How was it? <laughs> All right. Okay, so moving along, Jeff. Where are we? Okay, we're at uh, uh, actually the 1977, uh, 1981, and I put a question mark after that. We still don't know. Uh, they introduced the, uh, the actual four floats for the uh, serpent. Okay. Uh, so he actually gained a, uh, a body part there. We have... <laughs> We have the whale, uh, followed by the turtle, um, and I believe it's the older, uh, the older one, uh, followed by the octopus, um, the three jumping dolphins, and then we introduce the brachiosaurus, the dinosaur, and then we have the sea monster, which um, I did not know existed until probably three or four months ago. Hmm. Um, it was just up. Uh, Travis sent me a link, said you've got to see this, and we all just kind of sat there with our mouths open, up going, <laughs> "What is that? Oh, <laughs> where where did he? Where did he discover? I'm looking at it, and no wonder it didn't last. Well, it only lasted four years. But what? Uh, yeah, what? Where did you find it? And what? Uh, yeah, that's wacky. <laughs> it's amazing, actually. The stripes do move, uh, and then the bubbles move on the top of it. So okay. The stripes actually go along the body. Gotcha. Where where did he discover it? 
Uh, he was just looking on YouTube. Uh, that's where that's probably ninety five percent of our research has been, really? just for the visuals. Mm-hmm. I mean, just go through everything you find that has something, and you know, hours and hours are spent sitting there looking at the screen, going, "Oh, where's the electrical water pageant in this video?" <laughs> you probably have more detailed information than Disney actually does. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we introduced that sea monster. Then we have the four seahorses um, in King Neptune, and then the Stars and Stripes. Right. And then we have uh, from 1982, uh, and then we're going to head into the non-retro, but 1995. Um, there's actually what I would call we have actually four different versions of the electrical water pageant. So uh, 1982 to 1995, we have the sea serpent, we have the whale, we have the turtle. Uh, the octopus, the three jumping dolphins, the brachiosaurus, introduction of the crocodile, yep. um, four seahorses, and King Neptune is one float, and we have the stars and stripes. And that was some 77 to 95 was the classic, uh, the classical music and the Dorsey music. Wow, so that, that that's quite a run there, 18 years of that one. Yeah, it's uh, and then of course uh, we have the 96 to the present, which is the current float set up, which is the sea serpent, the whale, the turtle, the octopus, the three jumping dolphins, the brachiosaurus, the crocodile, the four seahorses, King Neptune float, and the stars and stripes with the present film score. That's quite the quite the history. So we're, we're going to get this PDF uh, posted, and then you've got animations on YouTube. Um, do your anima- are your animations synced to, I can't remember, were they synced to the music as well? Or what, what have you, you've got uh, one yeah. for each series? Or how, how do you have that set up? Yeah, I have it, I have it set up. Um, I'm still working on the project as I'm going along. Um, I've actually uploaded a couple um, new versions of what the animated water uh, sequence looks like. So it's got more of a ripply effect. I'm also going to be updating all the floats because um, as I went through, I realized I was... Uh, not putting up the correct ones for each year so i decided to go back and kind of change them as well so um i did post that there are some errors in it so i made sure that that was noted um and i'm willing and able to switch it when i'm got the time and (laughs) yeah and for those of you haven't haven't seen this what he's done is he's basically reproduced the parade from start to finish uh using after effects so that way you can watch it like crystal clear, in focus, and it, it's just gorgeous to go and look at all these. I know it really brought back the memories for me when I saw it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing. Definitely one of those Monday morning, I don't want to work type videos. If you put it on, it'll make your week better. <laughs> <laughs> so, excellent. Well, Jeff, anything to anything else to add there to what you got? Or you want to... Shout out to your website and your YouTube name so people can find this. We'll, we'll yeah. link it as well, but if they're listening and want to join. Yep. Um, actually, I just have a few things, too. Um, oh, sure. Uh, there was a time, um, I believe, in sometime in the mid-'80s that they had a hurricane down there, and I gather some of the, uh, the floats were um, kind of damaged. Mm-hmm. And I think that had to do with a lot of the changes in some of the shapes of the actual uh, uh, creature designs. Um, I think they were huh. just kind of uh, redone because I think the whale... Probably you can see it in the whale. Mostly, he he had a smiling face, and now he kind of has this open kind of mouth. He's <laughs> fr- frowning after the hurricane. Yeah. Uh, but I heard that, and they also replaced most of the floats not too long ago. Um, put new engines on them as well. Jeff, I'm assuming you saw a few months back when they did a dawn showing of the 
EWP to test the sight lines from the new Polynesian beach? Yes, actually, it was on the video. I saw that. Yeah, it was very exciting. So if oh, you, man. We'll have to post a link to that. But they, a few months back when uh, they were getting ready to open the, the villas there at the Polynesian, the bungalows, uh, they actually ran the EWP at about 6.15 in the morning. Uh, so right at dawn. And what a unique way to see it. Yeah, that's that's pretty unique. Did, did they just light everything up, or did they actually do a full show? No, they did the full show. They did do a full show. Wow. They did the full show without audio. Right, right, right. So, mm-hmm. so you right. can watch the video, and it's, it's. I was, I was always amazed, you know, still to this day, that you know, granted, there's a lot more light, but if you think about back in '71 when Polynesia went there, the park was a little bit smaller. There were, you know, um, you didn't have the Grand Tower. When that, what that means is there's a lot more, there's a lot less light, right, on on the lake, and that. It's still pretty inky black in areas, and it, it still amazes me that you know you've got these very very long barges, uh, and they're still able to do that navigate, and all the other traffic gets around. So they uh, they definitely got it. It's it's pretty impressive what they ha- how they have it done. Totally agree. And I now now have to do something geeky. Do we know the length of of the bar of each set? My understanding is that each barge is twenty five feet length. Okay, and then there's connecting. Yes, there's a connecting... Uh... All right, I am going to use the measurement tool right now on... Uh... You know, Todd, a great way to find out would be to take a uh, tape measure and <laughs> yes. your water sprite and just go back there. That would, take that would one work. for the team. <laughs> 400, <laughs> 450 feet, each set of seven. That seems a little excessive. I'm really? Me- <laughs> I, I'm I mean, me- that thing, that's longer than a football field. Yeah, I'm measuring it right now. I, go- I don't buy that. How well, they-, they dry it? I mean, think about that. that. There's no way that would fit. <laughs> well, let's for reference, a six-car monorail, just to give you an idea, a six-car monorail is about 200 feet. So it's longer double, than... It's double, than double the length, yeah. I don't know about that. We're, that's our first meetup is going to have to be back there <laughs> by with the tape measure in in our in our EWP t-shirts from Redbubble. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we all get a we all get arrested in our matching. Outfits. No, no, no. We'll just get ones printed up that say staff on the back. No, it'll be any of the Exactly. We're just measuring, don't mind us. They're dark inky, they're dark inky black, you know, dark inky shirt. No problem. Dark inky black. <laughs> yeah, I'm 457 feet right here from from tip to tip. All right. Well, we can get into some of the details of the music then. So Jeff, th- yeah. throw in here and, and help me out. So we we were pretty sure that the first version of any music that ran with this, from what we can tell, is was just Baroque down, and right. it very well might have been just the 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 um, Jean Luc Perry Gershon Kingsley version, like straight off the album. And that's the present music for the Main Street Electrical Parade. Right. So, or at least what sort of like the underscore for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my, yeah. My understanding is it was uh, very repetitive. It was not, it was like the first part of that, of that first segment of that uh, record. Yeah. So uh, if you just kind of put it on repeat, that would probably be most likely where it was uh, closest to it. So. And that original one, I mean, it is a very, it is very sort of repetitive because it, uh, it doesn't have any of the Disney music overlays. Um, those things were added, uh, I think in 72 when they, uh, actually did the, the, uh, the Disneyland version of the electrical parade. And then they brought that music back, uh, for the electrical water pageant because, uh, they didn't do the main street electrical parade 
at Walt Disney World yet. And then when they brought the uh, electrical parade here, that's when they brought in uh, the version of the water music, the new synthesized stuff. Uh, the My understanding is that the musician uh, Paul Beaver, who worked on the the version of the Disneyland uh, parade, which got used here, uh, he had he ended up dying of cancer or something like that, uh, which is when they brought in Don Dorsey to do all the synthesizer stuff. And that's when they did this, uh, the new version with the Handel water music that we heard for years and years. And I'm not sure if, if Dorsey ended up doing this, this new sort of like filmatic version with like whale of a tail and little mermaid. I'll have to do some more research to see if he was involved with that. Cause I know he, he is still involved with a lot of Disney parades doing, uh, like technical and music stuff as well. This is what I got. <laughs> All right. Uh, um, there was um, just a couple things, you know, with the traveling music and stuff like that. That was added to as well because they didn't really have that traveling into the uh, areas and then it would light up. Uh, also, believe it or not, uh, or uh, if we can find out, uh, there was a transcendental uh, theme that was played at one time during the uh, 1981. I have not seen any footage of that or heard any of what that was. I have words from people saying that they, they did play the Tencennial. I'll put a call out to your listeners <laughs> after that. <laughs> yeah, we're, we we um, in, in, the one thing that nobody seems to know was actually who did the design of the characters. It's like that is a great mystery. Um, I sent an email earlier this week out to um, Ron Mitzner, who was the associate producer of the parade and now is like super famous theme park guy. Uh, I don't know if he will have ever bother to write me back or not. So if anybody, he, he seems to be the one last person who's, who is alive, who was connected to the beginnings of this. So if anybody knows him and, and, uh, is a listener of the podcast and wouldn't mind reaching out, trying to see if maybe some off chance he knows who, who did the design work. Cause the, the floats are awesome. Uh, and, and that person certainly should get credit where credit is due because, uh, between the music and the design of those things, uh, given that these are so simple, it's like that has managed to carry the show now since 1971. And despite the fact that it is technically unimpressive, it is just one of the most incredible, like gorgeous experiences that you can have at Walt Disney World. Really Agreed. Awesome. Agreed. Yeah, it's awesome how it stood the test of time. So, well, Jeff, I, I appreciate you joining us uh, tonight and, uh, you know, sharing all this information with you. It's a perfect uh perfect part to our to our episode this month and um anything else uh, you got to add or uh no no uh just uh if they want to um we can either put the link on your site or whatever we can go to tomorrow sphere at blogspot uh blogspot.com and they actually can download the pdf for them perfect yeah right we'll, we'll link that in right on the and where can the they find you on twitter jeff i'm at tomorrow sphere um that's my twitter account all right Excellent. And excellent. I also have uh, an also website. I have a web version of it up now on my website. So that's at tomorrowsfair.com. Excellent. Well, there you go. Three different places to find and get in touch with you. And uh, if anybody's got any information on the Tencennial edition of the Electrical Water Pageant, be sure to uh, let us know and uh, let Jeff know as well. So, well, Jeff, again, thank you very much uh, for joining. And um, as you get updates, we'll, uh, we'll probably have you back on and uh, tell us what you found. Well, thank you very much for having me. Excellent. Fantastic. Excellent. Yep, thank you. All right, well, special thanks to Jeffrey Field there. That was awesome to have him on. Um, let's move over to uh, listener mail. 
JT, you ran out to the mailbox again, as always. It's packed, jam full. Uh, we've got a, short, a little short on time this month, but what, what do we have in the mailbag? Um, fuller than most months, surprisingly. But uh, what I do have is a message from Stefan Del Signore, and he uh, gave us some topic suggestions. Obviously, he said, I love the podcast, and he also said, when I was a kid, I got my picture taken with Little Oscar at the cafe. Um, Todd, what or who is Little Oscar? Yes, Little Oscar. I did uh, visit with Little Oscar as well. Um, his name is George Molchan, uh, M-O-L-C-H-A-N. And uh, he was he was a spokesman for, for Oscar Mayer. And at the time, my grandmother was called the Hospitality House. Uh, but it was sponsored uh, by Oscar Mayer. It was the Oscar Mayer restaurant there. And um, in the mid-'70s up until about, uh, I think he retired in eighty seven. He played Little Oscar, and uh, you could you could uh, go up and, and meet him. The original uh, Little Oscar was Meinhard Rabe, R-A-A-B-E. I don't know how to pronounce that. But um, uh, he, he was the original, so he was replacing that. So, yes, there was a Oscar Mayer, a Little Oscar there, George Moulton, and uh, he did pass away in 2005 uh, at the age of, what is that? Uh, I'm not doing the math right now, about in his 80s. You is met him now? Did you do an inflation calculator on that? I, yeah. On the age? <laughs> yeah. um, I, I did meet, I do remember seeing him there in 1980. I don't have a picture of uh, standing with him, but I remember my, my grandmother going, come on, you got to meet the little Oscar guy. And So help out. so help me out here. So yeah. this is this is Tony's town, where is now Tony's yes. town square cafe? Correct. And little Oscar was like a chef? He was a spokesman chef. guy? Yeah. And he would come out and <laughs> not not like a child. He was like a he, he like a, a little, little person. person. Is he, that the? Okay. That's correct. That's correct. I'm not very good at bringing out these stories. Uh, but you're correct. He was he's a little person, and um, he was the spokesman for it. And he he was there uh, for 16 years. And he would walk around the uh, the restaurant and come out and shake hands with and 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 meet you. I'm surprised you never saw him there. How huh? he was? I'm just gonna say he was like a. Yeah, well, he I guess wear he was... the hat, the white chef hat with the Oscar Mayer logo. Okay, so this is I'm looking at some pictures now of uh, some television advertising that uh, that I guess he was on back then. Yeah, yeah, huh? So it's in- interesting, and there's I I've tried to do some, you know, more uh, research on him from the Disney World perspective, and I really have not found much. Um, there there hasn't been, you know, I, I don't know, just haven't been able to find anything. This is pretty exciting, though, because as far as I'm concerned now, Little Oscar is our Frito kid. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. right. There is one picture of him with posing with kids. Um, yeah, I'll send it to you guys. We can certainly put I, it. I've seen that one. Yeah, it's the, the famous one. with it's, it's a really poor photo. It's all red. Uh, and that's the only one that I found uh, of... of uh, of him at Disney World with anybody with him posing anything. But you can see he's even his his hat even says little Oscar. Yeah. I assume we probably ate enough hot dogs at home that once we got to a theme park, my parents were like, <laughs> We don't need to get hot dogs. That's right. I remember in a in a previous episode you had talked about uh how it was expended. Plus, Hal's parents had pies from the Lake Buena Vista bakery. In <laughs> That's the right. That's right. And you know what? There is look at this, another picture has surfaced and this child and in, in this we'll have to uh, post this as well but this child also has the tag hanging on him that that, that we were talking about last week with uh with... maybe that's stefan that could be seven right <laughs> but um there's little oscar again you can clearly say it's on the it's on the in 
the steps of the or just inside Tony's what is now Tony's. Yeah. yeah. My grandmother always used to call it the hospitality house. I forget why there was there was some reason for that. So Well the the golf hospitality uh, house is right next door to that. That's that was, right. Yeah. So that's probably why she called it that. But um so there you go. Um, so we weren't going to really dedicate an entire episode to it unless we can get some uh, more information on it. But that, that is the, the history of, uh, of little little Oscar George Mulshan. Very cool. Well, if you have any other questions, you can email us, podcast at RetroDisneyWorld.com. We also had some submissions this week on Instagram. Uh, those questions were answered by our guest. And uh, just keep the questions and suggestions coming. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. It's time to move on now to our uh, audio rewind portion of the show. Uh, this is where we play a piece of audio segment uh, from the past. And uh, you as the listener have to try to figure out what it is. Uh, so, guys, did you take a listen to this once? What did, did you know it off the top of the top of the head? I got nothing. You got nothing. I, I have to admit, I was fooled. You were I, fooled. Yes. We stumped, totally got me. We stumped how. How did not supply the audio uh, rewind for this month. Brian, did you get it? I I didn't uh, accept. Well, here's the issue. The issue was <laughs> I had not listened to our entire show before you published it. Ah. So we started getting all of the answers in and everyone's answer was the same. We got a lot of correct answers this month. So by like the third email, I've, before I even listened to it, I'm like, oh, it must be what it is. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, let's take a listen to last month's real quick. All right, so we do have a winner this month, um, and I will say that everybody who wrote in had the correct answer. That's the first month that that's happened. Everybody wrote in. So uh, the correct answer is the opening to El Rio del Tiempo, the river of time in the Mexico Pavilion, uh, before it was taken over by some ducks. So, uh, and the the winner this month is Jennifer Silveira. Uh, Silviera, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, so, Jennifer, congratulations. You win the transportation, uh, Walt Disney World transportation poster by Crick Buckholes. Chris Buckholes, we're going to get that out to you um, as soon as possible here. Uh, it's a fantastic uh, poster. Actually, um, JT, How, Brian, you guys all have a copy of it now. Uh, we, we had a couple of them we got out to you guys. What do you think? It's pretty cool, isn't it? Suitable That's for framing. Suitable awesome. for framing. Now, uh, so uh, it's, it's, it is a great it's a great poster. So it, It's a wonderful thing to put in a room that you don't want to immediately let people know that you're a Disney dork because they'd have to go really examine it <laughs> right. to recognize that, oh, this is an attraction vehicle. It just looks right. like a neat piece of artwork from, and, from far away. And the biggest items on it are the trains. So oh, it's got trains and cars. So, yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. So, all right. Well, let's take a listen to this month's Audio Rewind and see if you can figure this one out. Well, that is this month's Audio Rewind. If you think you know the answer, email your answer to podcast at retrodisneyworld.com. All correct answers will be entered in to win the prize of the month. Uh, guys, what do you, uh, anybody have anything to give away this month? 
Ah, wow. Great. Let's crickets. Let's open up the archive. I I have something. I have, I'm going to have another 3D printed object ready. Okay. JT's got some soap. <laughs> Do you need more, more soap? soap. I got a bar of soap if you want. I, I would like to. I need to dig though. I'll find you a good one for next time. All right. All right. Well, here's what I have another 3D object coming printed up. I'm working on recreating the Epcot um, pavilion signs, the little oh. squares. All right. So we are working on the first one. Um, it'll have a white background, and then inlaid into it will be the orange spaceship Earth. Um, uh, logo and uh, we did the first test print things didn't fit just right we're going to do another print so I'm going to give out one of the very first Epcot Spaceship Earth uh, rectangular logos alright so that's the prize for this month so again if you know the answer email podcast at retrodisneyworld.com and all correct answers uh, no matter if you win the prize or not will be entered into the big prize drawing in December 2015 for a Reproduction Paul Hartley map from WDWmap.com. So definitely uh, enter and check that out. It's an awesome map. And uh, get your entries in for the audio rewind. So could you work on between now and then a 3D printed little Oscar? Is that doable? <laughs> I don't know if we have a scan. We may be able to do the hat, the Oscar. I'm thinking hat. like a bobblehead, you know. Bob. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, ooh, that's that's kind that's of a cool. Idea. Yeah, there's no hmm. I have to check yeah. his with his estate, see if we can get that done. So. <laughs> <laughs> Pictures of around his head to get the whole Exactly. You know. So all right, well it's time to move on to the film restoration portion. Um so this section of, of the podcast is brought to you by Pixel. For a thoughtful once-in-a-lifetime gift, contact Pixel to create digital pristine, pristine digital transfers from your old home movies, photos, videotapes, or slides, now available in the cloud with the Reflector app. To get started today, visit Pixel.com or call 1-800-557-3508. You can also get a 10% discount. Um, the coupon is at RetroDisneyWorld.com forward slash ImageWorks. So uh, we're going to do a... This is a quick film today. Um, this is one of Howe's personal favorites. Um, it does come to us from um, the, the home office in Lakeview, Minnesota? <laughs> oh, it actually comes to the home office, home office of Paramount Films. Now, do you guys remember a couple months back we had the, the Contemporary episode, right? And we talked about how one of those films in there was the um, – uh, were these films that these guys took like 20, 25, 26, 27 different three-minute reels uh, on their visit to, to Disney World. And it was all shipped back to Paramount film corp and uh, <laughs> there is somebody listening and opening it up right now um and, and this was one of the films they had in there we always thought that this was maybe a potential reconnaissance mission by paramount to see what the theme park was about because they took film of things that you normally wouldn't take film of so anyway um this is this is the of the 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 home of future living, and um, just for for those of you who don't know, the home of future living was at the very end of Space Mountain, um, where you would go up the the speed ramp. Needs more speed ramp. Uh, go up there, and and this is what you would see. It was it's quite an interesting um, uh, display of audio animatronic figures and everything. We're going to talk about it a little in depth. It was kind of like the pre horizons, if, if if you will. Um, I'm going to let Hal lead this one because. Uh, other than the beautiful shot of the Tomorrowland Speedway walls at the very, very beginning, which I, I just love that shot, um, we, it dives right into uh, the the home of Future Living right after that. So, and this this film does does have sound, which is another 
other bonus to it. Yeah, I w- you know, normally we try to pick out, oh, you know, go to this this point in time and watch this thing and go to this point in time right. and watch this thing. But you have to watch this whole entire thing. thing. This, entire thing. <laughs> this is probably, you know, the best movie version that I have ever seen of this far better than any of the videotapes that are out there. You look at this and you're really seeing what it looked like um, as, as close as possible. And I have so many vivid memories of this thing. So, uh, so we'll start off at the beginning, I guess at the, the 28 second mark. And uh, we are out on the back porch of the home of future living. And there's a guy in his, in his awesome jumpsuit and his blue hair, um, <laughs> which <laughs> we have to say that this thing predicted a lot of things in the future and blue hair it was one of them. Yeah, I mean, nailed it. <laughs> nailed it. There's people nailed it. there. They predicted Nicki Minaj like along with all these electronic devices. Right. So, so this guy is hanging out on his back porch, and he's teleconferencing somebody on what looks like a laptop computer. And That's and cool. one of one of the things that blows my mind through this entire thing is all the screens are flat panel. They're all about a 16 by not. They're a little, not exactly 16 by nine, but like close to the widescreen format. Yeah. Which, which I think is because possibly they use 70 millimeter film to do all these projections. So it was very close to the aspect ratio, but, uh, man, it's just, they just nailed so much stuff. There's, let's there's remind even... people that this opened in 75. Yeah. So, okay. I mean, so probably we're, we're what 30 years from even any thought of, of, widescreen yeah i mean this guy's got a laptop with a widescreen and a camera in the yep. laptop like filming him and I he's mean, on it's... wi-fi he's wireless yeah he's, yeah, he's wireless. exactly um so then the next room uh at oh let's see what's going to be like 37 it's one of my like weird favorite things it's like <laughs> they go to they go into a baby's room now, what they're doing here is they're predicting baby monitors. So today we have all these, you know, Wi-Fi and, and video. <clears throat> they actually have this like really weird. And I have to remember the video cameras back then were enormous. And the, the one thing they didn't predict was miniaturization. <laughs> so so there's this giant clown thing. Holding it's like a, one of those one of those toys you'd like knock over. And it would come back up. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, filming like this baby in a crib. Who's who's wider crib? Yeah, that's right. It's a clear acrylic clip with holes in it. If you look at this, like there's like choke points. The kid can put its head through there and get himself strangled. And I'm pretty sure he's got on a silver lame diaper because that's (laughs) like that. You know, that's fire retardant. Future. That's fire retardant. Future. (laughs) Looks like a NASA blanket diaper. (laughs) It's a heat shield. (laughs) It's so he can re-enter Earth's atmosphere. Uh, (laughs) The heat shield. But one of the great things is this this figure of this kid actually shows up on her like I don't know if it's the same one, but like a figure of from the same mold is the kid in Horizons in the very last scene when they're singing Happy Birthday to Davy. Right, right. So, yes. So this this guy leads on. Then then we go to the next room, and it's a person taking a pottery class on this widescreen television. Uh basically they're just doing what we're doing right now. It's like yeah. we're they're on Skype. And there's like three people in a room together and the teacher is showing what you're supposed to be doing. And she complains a little bit because her handle isn't quite right. And I mean, the nice thing about this, the the sound is like it has captured all of the dialogue uh, in these sections. I mean, you're literally hearing this and it's so it's like lit, like 
however this person did it because our I know our home movies were always terrible, but like this person actually like shot the stuff so you can see it. And again, this goes back to our theory that that being sent to Paramount, being sent that they that the quality of the film, and also that they shot this stuff again, maybe reconnaissance mission. Yeah, so. somebody knew what they were doing. Right. So, another so... another comment on this screen too is that you know you mentioned that the, it was the, the widescreen is wider than we have today, but don't forget there are now new screens coming out that are more of that aspect ratio. For That's the true. Movie. That's so true. this is yeah with 4K and also the wider for, for people who really like videos, video files and stuff have mm. and watch a lot of. You know, aspect ratio in the movie, the movie theater aspect ratio TVs are coming out. So they okay. they hit this one too. I I give them a. So so at forty nine seconds, you one of the things that we should mention about the home and future living, it was actually built on two levels. So one level you would see very well on the on the speed ramp coming out of Space Mountain. The other the other level you could actually see from the Woodway People Mover. So at forty nine seconds, they pan up and they show a guy on. Uh, on sort of like this device with skis and he's in front of a large flat panel television that is curved. So that's something that literally came out. What last year they entered, tried to introduce the curved television. So, I mean, right. Nailed it again. I got it. Um, it's unbelievable. Uh, and it's very reminiscent of like, uh, of like what we do with Wii's and and uh, some of the Xbox systems today. Um, so then at fifty three we move on to the kitchen, and uh, the woman is uh, shopping uh, from home, uh, looking at plates and things. Which I, I remember <laughs> in nineteen seventy like four or I'm sorry, this would have been like seventy five seventy six. This concept of shopping at home seemed absolutely ridiculous. To me. <laughs> I'm like, why would anyone ever buy anything without touching it first? I just <laughs> couldn't picture that. She is using a Star Trek size console, though. That is pretty she, large. She <laughs> is. She's, she's like got a big control panel there. We're not even halfway through, and I want to live in this house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brian's just excited. He thought, I'll go and build this. And she's able to sit there and click on a button and change the color of the plates from like white to red to blue to like see what they might look like. Which I mean, that's exactly what you can do clothing shopping. On websites yeah. now, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Nailed it. Um, and she also has a live feed from the, uh, from the door outside uh, of a kid. So. Uh, when we have this now, it's like where we've got feeds out our front door. So, okay, now we move on to 106. Why isn't anybody watching the baby in any of these? That's <laughs> because the happening. monitor's doing everything for you. Exactly. Well, but the camera, I figure it'd be in one of these six screens she's looking at, though. The... Oh, no, only alert you if the baby does something weird. It gets his head stuck in the <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the, it's the head stuck in the clear hole. Yeah, we've got you covered. So then at 106, we move on to the, into the girl's bedroom. Uh, and now here's one place where the future doesn't quite live up so they were pushing the select division players at this point so she is holding an enormous video disc yeah it's like a uh <laughs> it's huge which was a real rca product um and and oddly enough uh i can see like she's got a uh there's a, a sleeve like she's watching elvis and over the over the course of time um sometimes she'd be watching kurt russell <laughs> uh from part of disneyland showtime in here Escape uh, from New York. Yeah. Well, it's 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 worth noting that RCA was Elvis's record label, 
And what ah. she's watching up on the screen is Aloha from Hawaii, his 1973 special. Oh, so which nice. was an RCA product. I see the there Cleveland Browns in there too. Oh yeah, once Coming we get to up, the big yeah. Um, at one point, this got shifted over, and she was watching Blondie. <laughs> Call like me. It. Yeah. <laughs> so it it is kind of odd that uh, in the future they would they would be uh, watching something super old. But I guess you know she was retro. She yeah. was retro before yeah, she was like retro. Us. Yeah. Yeah. So then we go off to the next room, uh, and we have a giant wall sized television, and uh, the kids are watching football. Uh, later on, uh, they'll change to watching 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea in here for some reason, but like predicting a giant, you know, wall television, it's like they completely nailed it. Yep. Yep. I mean, it really, there's not many things other than the cordless. And I liked your article that you wrote on it. You, you mentioned how the teens still being excited about Elvis. They got that wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But, and the, the phone was corded. Um, but I mean, there's obviously inklings of some sort of network there's inklings of of some sort of um you know things being inter- intertwined with each other it's a, it really is amazing but from there then we go into the exit which it really hasn't changed well it's changed a little bit today but i think the premise is still the same the last time i was on yes yeah, so if, if we go to 145 um you'll see what they had was something that was actually very unique at the time especially for that that uh that time in the in the 1970s today Video is, you know, ubiquitous. It's like we pick up our phones, we FaceTime each other. It's like we see each other constantly in media. But at that time, uh, seeing yourself on television was really novel and unique. So they had a camera set up and then uh, it started out. The the version that you see here is very early. There was just sort of like television, uh, just like generic television monitors. But eventually this gets replaced and they'll have like all the new models of the RCA TVs in here. But as you're going up the speed ramp, you actually get to see yourself. Right. On television, which was huge. Now, I have to uh, say that that guy at 152 is standing 149, there. yeah. He, well, yeah. the guy, 149, you see the cameraman on the screen. Do you notice that? Yeah, you, you do see him real quick. Now, the guy standing there looking at, he's got the number jersey on. It looks like 22 or something like that. He is in all the other films. Um, he's one of the <laughs> Paramount... Yeah, so he's one of the the people that was on this trip. So if anybody knows who this guy is, let us know because we'll 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 solve this this film mystery. So it's like yeah, the po- it, mystery of Polka Dot Girl right here. And if you look back at two at two sixteen, you'll see like a one last shot of like the boy and like the automatronic audio animatronic boy and that dog. I'm pretty sure that those two figures are still there. In that post show, they're just stripped off of their clothes and they're stripped down to the robotics and like dressed up a little bit. But those guys are still hanging out still there humming. to this day. That's amazing. And then the end shot is a great night shot. I don't know how they got that. They they knew what they were doing of, of Space Mountain. It's an awesome little look there. So, yeah, that was a, a little diamond in the rough. That was one of the 27 films that we got in, um, able to restore that one. So, um, Great, uh, great narration there, uh, Hal, and uh, great overview. And uh, I know you're going to be watching this one again and again. <laughs> <laughs> so, Reminiscing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was one of my favorite things uh, at Walt Disney World was that home future. I mean, we'll, someday we'll have a... Uh, another episode and I have a guest to bring on to discuss uh, home and future living in, in great detail when we're ready to do that. So. Ah, I think I know who that is, but that would be an awesome time. So, 
All right. Well, I think it is that time. We're all getting a little uh, jury-eyed here, burning the midnight oil, getting this recorded ahead of time for you, uh, for our listeners. So with that said, we're going to close out this episode. Um, is there any topic we uh, you think we should focus on for, for next month, guys? It's Let's see. We're going into July. It'll be the July episode. Uh, anything you can think of? Uh, it's, it's, it's July. It's so July. It's July. It's the month we celebrate our independence. So what about the American adventure? Uh, I think that is appropriate to do. We can go take our first wander into world showcase. Absolutely. That sounds like a great one. So it's either that, or we're just going to go back and talk about the whiskey rebellion over and over again. I think we've, <laughs> we've, we've got, but maybe we'll, maybe we'll have the song by then. So. Um, all right. So, and, and afterwards, we'll have a cookout, uh, yeah. as you would do, uh, possibly over at Roy's cabin. Oh, Fourth yeah. of July cookout, watching the pageant, right from oh, Roy's uh, cabin. That would, yeah, yeah. I know two brothers we can invite. <laughs> yeah, nicely done. <laughs> Only one of them's alive at the end, right? Well, the cannonball doesn't pay any mind. That's the problem. <laughs> it's a little preview for you, folks. That's right. So. All right. Well, with that said, um, as always, you can find us at RetroDisneyWorld.com. Also on Twitter at, at RetroWDW. We're on Facebook as well. Just look for Retro Disney World. So um, keep following us as always. Um, Brian, JT, Howe, tell them uh, where they can find yourselves and your tweets, your musings, and all of your antics. Any of, any of you can go first. This Brian. <laughs> I should have, okay. uh, all right, we'll, we'll call you uh, one by right, one. I, I Raise your hand. Go first. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brian P. Miles. Uh, I am at LS1JT on Twitter. I am at GoAwayGreen at Twitter. Excellent. So, and also to, again, a big thank you to all of our listeners. A thank you to um, Bill Cork tonight for joining us tonight and uh, to, to Jeff Fields for joining us as well. Uh, had a fantastic time with both of them. And uh, for our listeners, uh, if you can, please give us a review on iTunes. And if you have any questions or anything you want answered, feel free to email us at info at retrodisneyworld.com. With that said, that ends in episode eight, titled uh, The Legends and Legacies of Lakes and Lagoons. So with that said, Brian, take us out. Until next time, ready when you are, CB.